I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, Badger fans, and welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. And on today's show, we're going to talk football. We've got a preview of the Indiana Hoosiers. Matt and I will do our usual breakdown and score prediction. Then we have an interview with Crimson Quarry, Mike Miller of their SB Nation site. The Hoosiers uh, joined us to give us a breakdown, very insightful interview on uh, what the Hoosiers have have been like in 2020, what Jack Tuttle, their new starting quarterback, is like. Of course, Michael Penix down with an ACL injury, so a fresh face for the Hoosiers at quarterback. And uh, we talked a little bit about their defense as well. So very insightful interview. I think you guys will really enjoy it as we get ready for Saturday's contest. But before we get into that, we're going to touch on a little bit of basketball. Uh, the Badgers did pick up their third win of the season, so plenty to get to on today's show of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Yeah, that, that weird time slot for the Badger basketball game yesterday made things a little wonky, but at the same time, it was it was good to see them pull out a W, so we can jump right into that. Yeah, it is. It, it was a little odd. The 4 p.m. start time got me a little thrown off, but I was able to catch uh, most of that one. It was a, it was an entertaining game for sure. Um, the Badgers, the you know, last time we talked in the last episode, we, we really focused on rebounding. It sounded like it was the big concern for this team, what we were looking for. Those first two games in terms of level of competition in, in Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Eastern Illinois didn't really blow you away, but Green Bay was looking like maybe a step up from that, and the Badgers really handled their business uh, on, on all phases, really, and, and cleaned up the board. So um, much better this time out. What else did you notice in that win uh, as the Badgers – get ready and, and move past that one and then get ready for a big one on Friday. Yeah, I mean, rebounding was definitely had a nice little uptick going from um, getting out-rebounded by Eastern Illinois and, and barely squeaking by in rebounds against Arkansas Pine Bluff. You saw them, you know, blow the doors off, get 20 extra rebounds on Green Bay. Now, part of that was because Green Bay hit about half half as many shots as the Badgers, but um, I, you looked at what they did. Badgers did shot well from the field, especially as the game went on. They had a really slow start, which I think that's something that you're going to have to get out of your system. I think the, the crazy little time there at 4 p.m. On a, on a weekday probably threw them a bit. But, but really what stood out to me was the ways in which the team um, hit their threes, you know, shot, we had talked about wanting to kind of stay in that sweet spot of somewhere between uh, 17 and 20. They shot 20. They didn't get overzealous with the three-pointer, especially when it wasn't shooting, er- when it wasn't falling earlier. But the bench points, though, that really jumped out. You looked at it. Green Bay had three bench points. The Badgers had 28. Um, specifically, the play of Tyler Wall 
Um, his first career double-double was really efficient with the ball outside of a couple turnovers early. You, you look at his stat line, four assists, 11 points, 15 rebounds, two steals. He, he, was, he did it all for the Badgers uh, and, and really sparked the team in a lot of ways. Uh, Greg Gard specifically put him in there and told him, uh, he said in the post game that, hey, go and give us a spark because you could tell this Badger team was sleepwalking in the beginning, and, and boy, did he deliver. So I think that was really the story for me was how he kind of ignited this team, and you saw them just go on an absolute tear in the second half. They made 10 shots in a row um, and really just buried Green Bay in the second half. So really impressed by what they put together. Um, if you, they can get rid of that slow start, this team can really do some damage. Yeah, Tyler Wall was phenomenal. I mean, we've seen in the past parts of his career little bursts like that where where he comes in and gives you a spark. But for him to put it together for a full game was kind of the first you know iteration of us seeing something like that from him. You know, he has the skills to do it, and and so far this year, even in the first two games, he didn't necessarily light it up on the stat sheet. But in terms of just play and and hustle and being in the right spot at the right time, you could see that. Maybe one of these breakout games was kind of coming for him, and, and he looked phenomenal. Definitely, a, you know, from where he was last year early in the season to now, he, he's really growing as a player, and I think he's going to be a really valuable bench piece for the Badgers. It's a guy that can come in, like you said, give you a spark off the bench is so important. They're going to need a guy like that, and Tyler Wall just seems like he's developing into that guy, and he's going to be a guy for Wisconsin that just uh, that, that, that wins a lot of games, scores some points, and, and, and plays a really long and strong career for the Badgers, but that's what Wisconsin does well. They get guys in the program, they develop them, and, and they're there for three, four years, and, and they play in a lot of big games. So it was fun to see him kind of break out, and, and hopefully that can continue because if you've got a guy like him off the bench playing well uh, along with the starting five and a couple others off the bench, you've got a squad that is really set up for something special. Yeah, and his position versatility allows him to play uh, defensively a lot of different players, which is very helpful for this team who who has some really talented bigs in Reavers and Potter who once again flex their muscle, continue to lead the team in points. But but you saw Wall be able to guard the four, but he could he also could can guard the three, which is really helpful for Greg Guard. I doubt Tyler Wall um, ends up being a starter this year. He's going to still be your sixth man coming off the bench. But I, he's, his minutes are going to gradually go if, up if he continues to play like he did um, against Green Bay. Um, he's right now the fourth leading scorer for this team, ahead of Aleem Ford, ahead of Brand Davison. So it tells you just how big of an impact he's had for this team so far. And really, I'm excited to see um, how he continues to mature as the season goes on because – you, you didn't quite see as much um, Jonathan Davis and Ben Carlson making an impact in this last one, but a big reason for that was the stellar play of Tyler Wall and, and Aleem Ford at, in pockets when he wasn't dream, deal, dealing with uh, foul trouble. Jeez, if I can get marbles out of my mouth. <laughs> no, that happens. I've uh, been stumbling a little bit here myself, but we'll, we'll smooth it out as we get going here. And uh, For the Badgers, a, a big contest Friday night in-state rivalry against Marquette or on the road. What are you looking for in that game? Because I think after last night, you, you saw Wisconsin come out, 40-point win. Uh, Marquette drop a game to Oklahoma State, who's, who's a good program. You can't knock them too much, but they really didn't look very strong in that game. So what are you looking for the, for the Badgers on Friday night? Yeah, I think the Badgers just need to, to play their game and not allow Marquette to dictate the tempo. This is going to be a, a big rivalry game. You're in um, opponent territory. 
you, you look at Marquette's schedule and they played Arkansas Pine Bluff and they played Eastern Illinois. So the, this isn't some like totally um, team that we haven't seen kind of go up against familiar foes. And, and they've done really well against both those teams. So I think Marquette is going to be a challenge for the Badgers. But at the same time, I think as long as the Badgers play to their strengths and play their game, don't um, allow Marquette to, to get the, the tempo going too fast. I think the Badgers will be fine. Um, I would like to see the Badgers get a little bit uh, more to the line than this past game against Green Bay. They only shot seven free throws compared to the first two where we, we mentioned they got to the line quite a bit. Um, that would be the big thing for me um, that I'm hoping to see from this team is, is once again, not relying on the three, get it the ball inside to those bigs and let them go to work against the Marquette team that, that doesn't have the, the crazy height advantage that the Badgers do with their length. Yeah, you've got some some really strong bigs in, in Reavers and Potter, and they should be able to to go at that Marquette front that isn't necessarily um, one that really blows you away compared comparatively to you know guys like Reavers and Potter. Those they're probably two of the best um, you know big combos in the country. So to to have those guys to lean on will be great. And then I'd like to see a little bit from you know the guys we've mentioned a little bit, Aleem Ford and Brad Davison. Brad Davison is usually a guy that kind of steps up in these big games. So I'd be interested to see what his stat line. Uh, looks like come Friday evening because I know he's kind of had a rough start to the season, not necessarily scoring the way that uh, you you want him to. I know some other guys have stepped up, but Brad Davidson is a guy when when he's contributing, he, he's a big factor in this team. So I'm interested to see what he can do Friday night against the Marquette Golden Eagles as well. So that should be a fun one. And then Louisville next week. So big games coming for Wisconsin basketball and uh, Wisconsin football's got a big one this weekend as well. Really intriguing matchup as we get into the football side here. Badgers come in two and one, Indiana five and one, but really both of these teams come in kind of an up and down season. For Wisconsin, we all know the storylines. You know they've they've had three games lost, really struggled to find any consistent um, you know play. Uh, last time out, of course, was the disastrous game against Northwestern, where you, you, it was hard to make a lot from that game because it was just so blatantly ugly. But for Indiana, really strong season. One loss to Ohio State, but you lose your starting quarterback in Michael Penix, the guy that kind of makes you go. So I'm not really sure what to make of this game and what it's going to look like. So what do you think uh, of the Hoosiers coming into this game, and, and what do you think this contest might shake out like? Well, much like the Wisconsin basketball team that we were just talking about, you know, this is going to be a defensive slugfest. I think the Badger D- Badgers were really good in basketball defensively. This football team, the Wisconsin defenses, should be for real. We've seen them do well in all three contests. Indiana comes in, though, as one of the better defenses as well. They don't blow you away in any statistical category in terms of total total defense or in terms of um, how, how good they are against the run or the pass, but rather they're super good causing turnovers and getting to the quarterback. So I think that's what's, what I'm going to be watching is, is just how much offense either of these teams can get going. Because we, last time we saw the Badgers, like you mentioned, there was a lot of turnovers left on that field for Wisconsin. And that can't be the case against Indiana, who is second in FBS at a plus, one, plus 1. 1.5 differential in turnover margin. margin. So the Badgers need to be, be much more careful with the ball. Um, I think both these teams are, are lean on their defenses, and they're going to do so even more now because of um, the Michael Penix injury and, and what Jack Tuttle can bring. 
Yeah, it's really interesting from that turnover side of things. You know, Indiana averaging you know, three turnovers forced a game. That's that's a really strong output. And and going off of the turnovers, they're converting those turnovers into points. I believe I was calculated up for one of our articles today. They've scored 58 points off their turnovers, which is nearly 30% of, of their scores uh, and of their points come for after a turnover. So if you're Wisconsin, and I know we kind of sound like a broken record because the last episode we – or the last preview for uh, Northwestern, we talked about the Badgers needing to take care of the football. They didn't, and you saw what happened. So it's going to be kind of the same situation this week where you've got to take care of the football. You're going against a team that you don't know what they're going to bring offensively, but I would expect that they um, you know, aren't going to be as strong. Michael Penix is a, a really good quarterback. Jack Tuttle is pretty highly rated in terms of recruiting, but he's still a guy that's only attempted 16 passes um, in his career you would have to expect some sort of rust to be there and, and some sort of a conservative game plan going against a, a Badger defense like that. So it's really hard to, to know what to make of this game, but I would agree with you. I think it's going to come down to which defense kind of plays better and, and if the Badgers can take care of the football because, uh, like we've said already, last time out they didn't, and, and it cost them dearly. And if you, you turn the ball over against Indiana, you're going to lose. And uh, you know they've, they've, they've done a really good job of taking care of and capitalizing those turnovers. If they do it against Ohio State, you know, they, they forced a, a plenty of turnovers of there uh, against the Buckeyes. They just couldn't turn any of them to points. If they do that, they probably are looking at this game, you know, undefeated. So it's it's a big contest, and it's going to be a really good test for Wisconsin. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I think, you know, Wisconsin has the weapons coming back. Kendrick Pryor is supposed to be coming back for this game. There's possibility of Danny Davis. Um, but getting Kendrick Pryor back, getting one of your top weapons back, that not only can help stretch the field in the passing game, but also in the jet sweep game, should really help this team. You you look at the offense was shorthanded going against into that Northwestern game because they didn't have everybody, all those younger wide receivers in the mix playing those extra uh, snaps in practice. Now you've had a couple weeks to get those guys integrated into the game plan. So hopefully they're in a better spot here heading into this game. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that's something we can see out of this Wisconsin offense. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they try to do on the offensive side of the football. I know, you know, the, the last time out, it's hard to really gauge what they were trying to do in a lot of ways against Northwestern because literally nothing they did um, was working. You know, you the, the Michigan game, they had a really good balance, like you said, with the Jets sweep. Um, and, you know, a guy like Jalen Berger getting involved there. So I'm interested to see what the offense is going to look to and, and turn to in terms of their attack. Um, what do you think that, uh, that, that Joe Rudolph and Paul Chris maybe have drawn up to try and attack this Indiana defense? Well, Indiana runs a 4-2-5. So I think you look at what they have. They, they rely on their secondary, which is really fast and athletic. That's one thing that just jumps on film about Indiana's defense is their ability to go out and their – if you look at their roster com, construction, the almost the entire defense is out of either in the state of Indiana or it's out of Florida. So there's a lot of team speed on, on there. So I think what you need to do is you need to attack with the run. I, I anticipate a, a heavy dose of, of Jalen Berger and a little bit of Nakia Watson and, and really trying to get those guys going. Um, Hopefully you can you can still get them with some play action pass and, and get over the top, but it, but it, like we said, you can't have the the turnovers happen. Um, so I would anticipate a heavy dosage of the run game for the Badgers because while Indiana is pretty solid against the run, um, if you're attacking a four two five, the running game's got to be your primary outlet, especially when you still have a redshirt freshman quarterback that 
that uh, has been up and down, you know, and the highs have been just about as high as they could ever be. But the, the lows of uh, two weeks ago are, are pretty low as well. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right there. The the Tom Allen's done a really good job of recruiting the state of Florida. You know, he's he's coached down in that area, and he can he can certainly pull guys from from down there up to Indiana to to play in this, his style of defense. He's done a good job of of turning that program around and developing kind of a defensive culture. You're not used to seeing you know an Indiana Hoosiers team that's a top twenty uh, defense, but they've been that this year, and and that's a huge part of it. But I think if there is a phase where you can go at them, it has to be the run game. I mean, Wisconsin in general is probably going to be have a stronger offensive line than, than really most programs in the country on, on the defensive line, and that shouldn't change with Indiana. So I think you've got to have a heavy dose of the run. I think they need to kind of get back to that jet sweep a little bit. I know against Northwestern they didn't necessarily have the personnel to run it. You know, they had guys banged up in, in prior and – and Davis, and, and the times that they did try to run it, it, it just felt like a disaster was coming, you know, whether it be a fumble or, or just the timing off and not working. So if you get some of those guys back, hopefully you can stretch the field a little bit with, with some of those plays, open it up, and then, you know, hammer it inside with, with your strong run game. You've got a strong front, I would guess. You know, Jalen Berger is going to be the guy that you really lean on. Now he's got a couple more weeks now under his belt to learn this offense. So I think the run game, I know – it sounds kind of repetitive with Wisconsin football. The run game's going to be the key for them, but I think it's got to be when you're going against a defense like this. Because, like you mentioned earlier, they don't necessarily do anything wrong. You know, great. You know, they're a good defense collectively as a whole, uh, but they they don't do really anything bad either. So it's hard to figure out which areas to exploit. But I think just leaning on your offensive line and using your game plan is is really what's going to work best for the Badgers in this contest. Yeah, for sure. And, and Indiana's got a good plug plug guy in the middle with Jerome Johnson. He's he's a legit dude. He's got an interception, got a fumble recovery, got leads the team in sacks. So um, he's the guy to watch along their defensive line. But I do like the Wisconsin offensive line in, in this matchup against Indiana. Um, so going off of that, do you think that Berger leads the team in touches this week? I, I certainly hope so. I mean, this we've gotten to the point now where you, I, I guess it depends on the mindset of the coaching staff. For me, I, I know it's it's senior day technically. With um, you know, it's it's a little different with no fans in the stands and every, you know people have the option to come back. So I, I know there's going to be certain times where you want to get get some guys some run. But I think Jalen Berger's been by far and away your best back. I mean, he's averaging six yards a carry. He's now got two more weeks under him. You know, I, I get it in the early part of the season. Maybe he doesn't know the offense as well. He's still trying to get his feet under him. He's still trying to add to his frame. He's a, he's a little bit smaller than the other two backs. But but now you're pretty much pretty far into the season. You've had how many weeks? I know there's been cancellations, but um, and, and inability to practice in some of those weeks. But for the most part, you you've gained valuable experience whether on the field or, or just in practice. So I think if you if you really want to get this run game going, Jalen Berger's going to be the guy. Um, you know, Nakia Watson, we saw him last year. He was a good secondary back. Garrett Groshek does some really good things uh, out of the backfield for Wisconsin. But I don't think either of those two look like a, a true bell cow guy that, that can carry an offense expected. You know, Wisconsin's always going to have secondary guys, but they need someone like a – Melvin Gordon, a Jonathan Taylor that's going to you know, get the bulk of the carries, and Jalen Berger looks like he's going to be um, the next guy in there. So I would hope so. I would anticipate it, but uh, we'll have to wait and see on Saturday. What about yourself? Yeah, I, th- I think you're right that just that extra time off that, that you are still being able to practice 
makes it so much more likely that Jalen Berger just takes over as the being the guy. Um, he averaged, he has 15 carries against Michigan, 15 against Northwestern, and he by far looked the best out of any of the backs uh, with the ball in his hands. I think you look at it, you now have a, a, a Mike Lucas article coming out specifically about Berger, you know, t- touting about what he's been doing uh, according to the coaches, and I think it's pointing in the direction that, hey, this kid's for real, he's going to be the guy, and I hope, like you said, I hope that that's the case and that they run with him give him 20-plus touches and, and let him loose. I would anticipate the same thing for Tim where you're looking at multiple weeks now for this kid to, to continue diving into the playbook and really getting a firm grasp of it that now both of those guys should be let loose and hopefully they, they see the field a lot more because we've seen some nice flashes from both of them. And, and really, Tim DK is your second-leading wide receiver um, on your roster with, with four catches Let's let's get him more involved as well. So I think those two guys are, are players that could immediately jump out for for more run this game just because of the the time off and an extra time to plan. Yeah, no, I think you make a great point. I think uh, it's an opportunity in, in in terms of getting some young guys some reps. This is a good chance to to work them in and and get them into the fold a little bit more. You know, you look at the season. You've lost three games due to COVID. You've lost a game on the field to Northwestern. So to get some of these young guys some run, uh, I think would be beneficial as you move forward and into next season. Switching gears here a little bit to the defense now. Of course, Indiana's big story defensively, or uh, I should say, Indiana offensively lost Michael Penix Jr., uh, their starting quarterback. Really dynamic kid um, that, that was playing pretty well coming into this contest. So. Really tough to, to see him go down. It's a guy that's battled injury throughout his career. I don't know. I believe in uh, in the interview with Mike Miller, he mentioned that, that Michael Penix has, has had an injury that has ended his season um, each of his years at Indiana. So really a tough situation for him. But unfortunately, or fortunately for the Badgers, you know you don't have to face a really tough test, and now you go against a back quarter, backup quarterback in Jack Tuttle that – is somewhat unknown um, recruiting-wise. He was a four-star kid, transferred into Indiana from Utah. Actually, the highest-rated quarterback Indiana has had um, in terms of rankings. Tuttle ranked a little bit higher than Michael Penix. So you know you've got someone who has some talent, but you haven't seen a lot from him on the field. So what do you expect Wisconsin to kind of do to get after a, a new and, and somewhat inexperienced quarterback? Yeah, I mean, the the Jack Tuttle angle to all of this is really funny just because he was a, a guy that the Badgers were really after um, hard. It looked like they were potentially in the driver's seat. Then they accepted a commitment from Ben Bryant, who ended up at Cincinnati when they pulled his, his commitment. And then the Badgers uh, took Chase Wolf to finish off the 2018 class. So things, boy, do things come back around um, on this one. But but I think he's a prototypical pocket passer. Um, he doesn't do anything very different than Michael Penix. Penix has a pretty good arm. Um, Tuttle also has a pretty good arm. Um, not a super mobile guy like Penix. So I think the big thing here is is just going to be you knock him off of his spot. You get after the quarterback. So make him uncomfortable. The Badgers really didn't do much in, in getting pressure on Northwestern, and that was something that undid them in the end. So – Hopefully they can get to the quarterback a little bit more in this game because especially against a backup quarterback, that's the number one thing to to kind of confuse them. Um, it'll be interesting to see the cornerback rotation now that we don't have Rashad Wild Goose um, uh, on the field to, to see as fans. So 
I think that's another thing to watch is what the secondary is doing with some of the shifts and movements that they're doing um, as well to disguise coverages. So between the coverage, this, um, being able to disguise coverages and getting after the quarterback, I think those are the things that if there's anybody who's, who wants two weeks to prep for a new quarterback, it's Jim Leonard. So I think there's going to be plenty of um, deception going on come Saturday. Yeah, it'll be an interesting angle to watch, and I would agree with you. The the pressure from the Badger defense needs to start to kind of get home. I and mean, they've got a lot of quarterback hurries this season. It's just not translated into sacks. They're just, you know, it seems like they're a couple steps off and, and just not getting there before the ball's out. Last year, they the Badgers averaged 3.6 sacks per game, down to just 1.7 this year. And, of course, it's a much smaller sample size, but... I think that translates that they're just they're a they're not blitzing as much as they did last year. When you've got guys like Chris Orr and Zach Bond, you, you can blitz a little bit more, and they're still looking for those guys on on this year's team. So they're not blitzing as more, so you're going to have less opportunities. But they're also just not getting there. So if you if you really want to to make a new quarterback, an inexperienced quarterback, make his job a lot harder, you're going to be in his moving him around. Um, you, you've seen what Wisconsin do can do to opposing quarterbacks. You know, I was looking forward to seeing maybe them get after a guy like Tanner Morgan, who struggles with pressure. I think Jack Tuttle's kind of similar to him that if you move him off the spot, like you mentioned, he can he can really start to you know get some errant throws. Of course, we've only seen uh, 16 pass attempts from him, but you know what he kind of brings in terms of player traits that way. So. I think that part's going to be really interesting, but if I'm Jim Leonard, I'm hoping that he's dialing up the blitzes. Like you mentioned, disguising coverage. It doesn't always have to be a blitz. You can disguise things and make it confusing for him, and then hopefully the Badgers can either get home for some sacks or for some turnovers of their own. I'm going to be uh, closely watching the turnover margin. I think that's going to be a key to this game, and, and hopefully Wisconsin can hang on to it. But if they can force some themselves, I think they'd be in really good shape to, to make it hard on this Indiana offense. Yeah, and I think that that's the number one thing that the Badgers need to do to win this game is is turnovers. Is they need to win the turnover margin um, at home. You know, the Badgers have looked a little bit better at home than when they were on the road at Northwestern. I'm hoping some of that home cooking comes and, and helps this team to to be able to take advantage of some opportunities, get um, get aggressive defensively, and get some turnovers because. Um, Indiana's going to be doing that, and they're going to be getting after Graham Mertz, and the, the ball carrier is trying to get it out. So it, it's going to be a matter of the Badgers taking care of the ball and then making sure that when they get to their opportunities in the red zone to convert because um, Indiana has done a good, pretty good job this year of, of bending but not breaking as well their def- defensively is when they're not getting turnovers, they're oftentimes still trying to get stops, and we've seen that in some of their bigger games. Um, that they've been able to hold people from scoring in the red zone. Badgers need to be able to move the ball and make that happen because um, we've, we've seen too often here that the Badgers have been plagued by um, unsuccessful drives, um, especially in that Northwestern game. Yeah, I think that transitions us really well to kind of our next question, the one thing that we were both kind of looking for to, to come away with the win. Uh, I think you kind of you hit it on it already, and I'm kind of the same way. It's going to come down to uh, taking care of the football, you know, avoiding the turnovers, winning that turnover battle, and, and then, like we mentioned on the defensive side of the ball, getting to the quarterback and, and making sure to, to make life hard on a young and inexperienced quarterback that way. It's going to be an interesting matchup um, on all phases of that. Anything else you're looking for before we kind of get into some of our predictions? Well, how quickly Kendrick Pryor can reacclimate himself into the offense, I think that's going to be a big thing because of that – 
of Indian running a 4-2-5. Um, you know, there's a lot of secondary players that are going to be kind of flowing all over the place. Um, Kendrick Pryor can do some great stuff in the jet sweep game as well as uh, as a pass catcher. So getting him involved early and getting the ball in his hands I think is going to be important, as well as Jake Ferguson um, through the middle where, where there's sometimes some some easier catches can be made against the 4 5 Yeah, it's going to be important for the Badgers to hopefully get uh, Pryor back involved. Uh, keep your fingers crossed for Danny Davis. I know his uh, status is a little bit more uncertain, but if they can get both of those guys back and, and worked into the fold early on, I think it would be really beneficial for this Badger offense to get some life into it after a, a pretty tough performance last time out against Northwestern. So. Uh, in terms of players, I know we normally do get kind of the guys that we, we talk about and expect to, to have big games. Who do you think come uh, Saturday evening, since the game starts at 2.30, that we'll kind of be talking about? Uh, I, I think we'll be talking about Isaiah Loudermilk on defense. I think he's a guy who's who's had a you know quietly a really good year. The Badger rush defense has been really solid this year. Indiana hasn't been great on the ground, but at the same time you've got a young quarterback. You would think that they'd try to get Stevie Scott going a little bit more. So I think um, I'm going to go with Loudermilk at defensively, um, being able to kind of give a couple tackles for loss plug some holes on the defensive end. And then offensively, um, I really do think it's going to be Jalen Berger. I think it's going to be his time to, to get extended carries. At least I'm hoping that's the case. So I'm going to go with those two guys as my, my players to watch that we'll be talking about on Monday. Yeah, I think offensively, it's it's surefire for, for me is, is going to be Jalen Berger. I think he's going to get plenty of touches in this game. I'd, I'd be surprised kind of if he didn't get – Maybe 20 carries in this game. You know, he's gotten around 15 the, the last couple contests. For him to get a little bit more and, and continue to, to get more and more carries as the season kind of wanes out here, I think it's going to be important. So I'd look for him to, to have a good game and, and really attack this Indiana defense. And then defensively, I'm, I'm looking for a guy like, like Eric Burrell. You know, a guy, we've said, I said it, it's kind of, it's senior day for um, some of these guys. You know, a guy like Eric Burrell has kind of already said, you know, he's not going to be back next year. So, this is going to be probably his last contest in Camp Randall. Unfortunately, it's without fans there, but he's going to go against uh, two really good receivers in, in Watt Filer and, and Ty Freifogel. So the, the secondary without Wild Goose is going to need someone like uh, you know Burrell or, or Williams or Hicks, one of the other corners, to really step up. So I think we could see a, a big turnover from a guy like Eric Burrell or, or something like that, or maybe a big tackle or forced fumble or, or something like that. He's a guy that kind of rises to those occasions. So I'm going to have my eyes on him, and I think we'll be talking about him uh, come Saturday evening. Yeah, that's a that's a really good pick because yeah, those those two wideouts that Indiana has in Fry Fogel and and Watt Fillier, in addition to having like all name team um, status, they definitely are talented. Those are those are guys that can make some serious plays, both uh, seniors as well. So the Badgers will have the hands full with those two guys, but it's all about making sure that the quarterback's out of rhythm so he can't get the ball to them. Yeah, those two units work pretty well and cohesively together. It's going to be an interesting uh, matchup to watch as the Badgers uh, get ready for their game against the Indiana Hoosiers. All right, that brings us to score predictions. What do you think uh, you've got for a score come Saturday? Oh, man, this this is a tough one because I think it can go a bunch of different ways, but I do like Wisconsin to to prevail here. I'm, I'm going to go with the Badgers winning um, – by about the spread, you know, right now it's about a 14-point line. I'm going to go with the Badgers to win 
I like that. I, I would love to see that for sure. Yeah, it's it is. There's a lot of different ways. You know, I was writing my betting preview today, and it was like, man, Wisconsin could cover this. You know, Indiana could hang around. Uh, the over could easily hit if both teams score, or it could just be a complete slop fest, ugly, and, and goes under. So it was a tough one to try and figure out. But I think for me, I, I do think Indiana will kind of keep it within the number. Uh, I, the, the spread opened at 10. I think that's probably where I expected it to go. I don't know. It's going to depend on the drop-off you have from Penix to Jack Tuttle, of course. You, you've got those strong receivers. If he can get them the ball, um, maybe you've got some success. So I think it'll be a little bit low-scoring game, maybe a 10-point game. I, I had 27-17, and I think uh, either one can happen, and really any scenario can happen. You know, Indiana's been a covering machine in terms of the spread, uh, 6-0 and on the season, so, so that's something to look for. So I think they keep it close, but I think the Badgers at the end, get some things going on offense, have another strong performance on defense, and, and make this maybe a 10-point game. I think that could right. be definitely possible as well. There we go. We've got our score predictions out of the way for you guys, and now we'll get into our Big Ten predictions. Kind of a weird week for the Big Ten right now. Of course, kind of headlined by Indiana and Wisconsin. Uh, there's a couple other good games, but really there's kind of, you know, when they've already lost two in northwestern Minnesota, and now – uh, Maryland and Michigan being scrapped. So we'll start with the uh, Nebraska-Purdue game. Uh, Nebraska coming in 1-4, and four, Purdue 2-3, and three, 11 a.m. on the Big Ten Network. Who do you have in this uh, intriguing Big Ten West matchup? Yeah, I think this is actually going to be a pretty you know, good game between these two teams, but I'm going to go with Purdue. I think their weapons on offense uh, on the outside are, are too much for Nebraska to hang with, so I'm going to go with Purdue. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I just I, I don't really know. It seems like sometimes you, you show something, you know, Nebraska hung with Iowa last week, weren't able to get that win at, at one and four with, with a couple weeks left. And, you know, I know we're all thanking Nebraska for bringing this season back, but I just don't know how invested some of these teams are right now. Um, you know, the season's kind of been a wash for a lot of these programs. It's been kind of ugly for the Big Ten especially. So I kind of uh, am going to lean with you. I'll go Purdue in that contest as well. All right, the other 11 a.m. game, Rutgers 2-4 and four, taking on 1-5 and five, Penn State. Man, I can't believe uh, that I'm saying that. Uh, Rutgers catching 11 points at home against the Nittany Lions. Who do you have in this contest? Give me Rutgers, baby. I, I laid in the slop with Rutgers when they played Michigan, and I almost pulled it out for that victory. They're going to take down somebody again this year. I'm going to go with them beating Penn State. I like it. I like that you're uh, confident about it. I, I think I'm going to take Penn State. I, I had a feeling last week that they would maybe squeak out that game with Michigan. They've played better than their record indicates, in at least early in the season. Now, the last few weeks have not been as pretty. Um, so I'm going to take Penn State to win it, but I think it'll be similar to that Rutgers-Michigan game where it's kept close at the end and it's going to come down to you know a late drive or late possession, and, and or maybe like you saw in that other game, uh, an overtime, something like that to, to really make things uh, you know go one way or the other. So I'll take the Nittany Lions in that one, but I think that'll be you know probably kind of a gross game, but at least somewhat entertaining uh, at 11 o'clock on the Big Ten Network. Moving on down, hopefully this game can get played for Buckeyes fans. I know there's some uh, nervous Ohio State fans with the status of this one, and now. Michigan shutting down their uh, football activities for next week's game. But Ohio State on the road against Michigan State. Uh, who do you like in this one? 
I'm going to go with Ohio State to win, but I think this game will be closer than it should be, just given all the turmoil going on, all the everything with Ryan Day not being able to practice. You've got it at Michigan State. There's there's just too much going on here for me to say Ohio State's going to blow the doors off them like you would normally assume. So I'm going to go with Michigan State to keep it close, but Ohio State gets the win. Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it. You don't know, and in terms of Ohio State, which players are going to have they're going to have available. I would have to venture that there's going to be some guys that are out for them if this even game, like I said, gets off the ground. Michigan State has been a team that I really have no read on. It seems like every week I am, you know, either with them or against them, and it always ends up being the opposite result. So. I think Michigan State, like you said, has a way to, to keep this close and, and make it messy. But at the end of the day, I think they'll uh, uh, not be able to hang. And Ohio State will figure it out. Maybe it's close in the first half, and, and then they pull away a little bit. But that 23-point spread is something that uh, I told myself I wouldn't bet Michigan State anymore. But it does look intriguing uh, given the situation at Ohio State. But I think if you're talking outright, uh, the Buckeyes bring home a victory in that one. All right, and then the final game uh, for the Big Ten, Iowa on the road against Illinois, 2.30 on Fox Sports 1. Who do you like in that one? I think this is similar to the game we were just talking about. I think Illinois will keep it closer than, you know, the spread, which is like close to 14, 13 right now. Um, But I do think that the Hawkeyes will will take out a W in Champaign. Yeah, I could see this game being a, a very ugly game early on, low-scoring punt fest that you see in the, the Big Ten quite often. That would not surprise me at all. And then Ohio State uh, figures some things out, puts together some drives. And, and defensively, Iowa's pretty strong, where maybe they, they've, they've done a good job of forcing turnovers. Maybe they force Illinois into some mistakes and pull away. So I think the, the Hawkeyes will, uh, will win this game outright, but it, it could be one that is just, a, I think, a classic Ugly, ugly Big Ten game. Yeah, I mean, Kirk Ferentz punting from the 35. Uh, <laughs> sign me up. I think you'll see plenty of that uh, in the Big Ten overall on Saturday. Some of these games have the potential to be quite ugly as you get into December, Big Ten. No, late November, December, Big Ten football is, is always kind of like that. And I think with Iowa and in Illinois, you could certainly see that. But. That, guys, wraps up our part of the podcast. Uh, We're going to get our couple quick ad reads out of the way, and then we'll get into our interview with Mike Miller. Corey, gosh, that always trips me up. It it tripped me up in the interview as well. But uh, Mike gave a really good insight on the Hoosiers, uh, what the expectations have been, how they've exceeded them so far this year. Talks about uh, the injury to Michael Penix and what that means for the Hoosiers. So stick with us through these ad reads and then enjoy that interview with Mike. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Alright, Badger fans, we now welcome on Mike Miller from the Quim- Crimson Glory. That always trips me up. Um, here to talk a little Indiana Hoosiers football. Uh, having a really strong season so far. Of course, uh, some injury stuff that we'll get into leading up to this game, but uh, should be a fun contest. You know, Wisconsin and Indiana don't meet that often um, in, in terms of the West and East Division crossover games. So it'll be fun to see those two uh, taking on each other in Camp Randall. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I, I got to say, though, you know, I think for Indiana fans, no one looks at Wisconsin on the football schedule and says, this is going to be a fun matchup. Um, <laughs> it just sort of seems like Wisconsin has held, like, first of all, the soul of Indiana football is has pretty much been such that, like, Indiana football, wherever, wherever it has an opportunity to do something good, do something big, it just sort of trips over itself and pukes on its shoes. But seems like Wisconsin has just sort of held the soul of Indiana football in a jar for like the last 20 years. So uh, it's it's certainly not a matchup anyone in Bloomington looks forward to. <laughs> yeah, they, they usually do fairly well uh, against the Hoosiers and, and the Boilermakers. They've got a long streak against teams from Indiana. So it'll be uh, interesting to see this one uh, on Saturday afternoon. But before we kind of get into the game itself, I wanted to ask you about this season because you mentioned, you know, um, the, there's been – uh, a lot of expectations coming in, lots returned for Indiana, and, and so far, relatively speaking, it's been a pretty successful year. I know uh, a lot of fans would have hoped to pull that Ohio State game out, and I was certainly rooting for the Hoosiers to pull that one out. But as an Indiana fan, compared to other years, how, how fun has this year been uh, compared to past ones? I think any Indiana fan would probably tell you this year has been the best, most fun year uh, in at least a generation. I mean, you're probably going back to the early 90s, late 1980s uh, to find another Indiana football season that has been this enjoyable for, from from the start of the season uh, until this point where we are right now. Uh, you know, it, it's been a number of different things that have sort of led into that. You know, for one, is it's sort of this has been a bit of a slow build in that uh, you could sort of see this coming. And, and granted, I'm not sure anyone really knew what to expect in a weird uh, pandemic tilted year that 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 this is but but even so you, you could sort of see that the things that Tom Allen was building uh the players that he was bringing in and thinking well you know one of these next couple of years I mean it, it really feels like Indiana is is on the verge of doing something special or at least doing something that this program doesn't do I mean uh, you know you just you know, look at the Indiana Wisconsin series over the last decade two decades or whatever it's been very one-sided and that's kind of been you know the Indiana football experience in, in some in some shape or form, they, they, they played well but never really gotten over the hump against teams such as Michigan, Ohio State, and then there's Wisconsin, who's just totally steamrolled them over the last 20 years, these last 10 matchups. Um, and, and that's kind of what it's been like to be an IU football fan. You know, you, you can kind of uh, tread water against the, uh, you know, the, the bottom-tier teams such as Rutgers and Maryland, but it's, it's really cracking into that next top tier that has really eluded them, those opportunities to do so. So, you know, it, regardless of, of what folks think about the Penn States and, and Michigans of the Big Ten this year, or, or even just the Big Ten as a whole, I think Indi- any Indiana fan would tell you that simply beating that laundry and uh, winning games in the manner w- in which they've won them, uh, it, it's been a really remarkable year. And even that Ohio State loss, as disappointing as it is to, you know, go, I think, 25 uh, straight years, 25 straight games, I should say, without beating Ohio State, it was still a fun game. And, and it, it, I think Indiana still showed a lot of people something uh, with their – uh, defensive uh, aggression that they that they demonstrated in that Ohio State game, the way they were able to come back and put points on the board, uh, they still showed uh, p- 
people something in that game. So so from from the start of the season till this point right now, it's been a, there's been a lot to like with this team. Yeah, they've been incredibly fun to watch. You know, you think of that opener and and then hanging with Ohio State and having that furious comeback. It was they've been a fun. I think for Badger fans as well, um, just kind of been the, the the team that they're rooting for from the East, but can't root for them. Uh, this week. And, and part of that, of course, turnaround is Tom Malin. I think he's one of the really underrated coaches in this league. And you, you said it's kind of been building towards, um, you know, having, you know, this kind of coming down the pipe with what has kind of been his message and what has he done to kind of change um, that program since he took over, I believe, in what, 2016? Yeah, he took over at the uh, – actually, it was uh, – what was it? Four, four years ago today. It was December 1st, 2016. Um, it was a really weird day because the uh, the Kevin Wilson ouster kind of really uh, – not kind of. It really came out of nowhere and surprised a lot mm-hmm. of people just given that, you know, Indiana had, uh, you know, a few days before clinched their second straight bowl trip. And, you know, again, that's not something that really happens in Bloomington or at least hadn't really happened in consecutive years for a long, long time. Uh, it really surprised people. But, you know, w- with Tom Allen, he's – He's been the same guy since that very day. He, he, he came in as defensive coordinator in January 2016, uh, and what he really wanted to do was not, uh, you know, just change things schematically, not just change the X's and O's stuff that that, that defense was doing, but he really just wanted to fix uh, the broken psyches that I think a lot of players were dealing with after years of being told that they were the worst, uh, you know, defense in, in Power 5 conference football, which they were. They were terrible. Uh, but I think hearing that and seeing that and, and having the numbers to back that up year after year after year, uh, cycling through defense coordinators, I think that really wore guys down, just being told and being shown that, you know, you're not very good. And so I think just changing the mental approach to the game, changing how guys uh, thought about each other, uh, building some sense of belief uh, was really the, the, the most important thing uh, he could do and the most important thing that he did. And I think the way that defense took to him during that 2016 season made a lot of people in the athletic department confident that, you know, should there be a need for a change, whether, uh, you know, for whatever means that would come, if there was a need for a change, you know, Tom Allen would be high on that list. And certainly, you know, the first couple of years when he's in that head coaching position, he had a lot to learn. I think that those first two or three years, I guess would be what, two years, he really had to learn how to be a a head coach. Um, But I, I would give him credit though the results weren't necessarily there, a couple back-to-back five and seven seasons. Uh, one thing that I, I noticed and I, I appreciated, I think, from Tom Allen was the fact that um, despite the results not being there, he was, he was you know, eager to make changes where he saw changes need to be made. He wasn't a guy who was just too stubborn or too stuck uh, to his own philosophies or his own systems, whatever it may be. He brought in a strength and conditioning staff that is very highly regarded and it's so highly regarded that they only lasted two seasons at Bloomington because Nick Saban came around and poached them and took them to Alabama. Um, he, uh, you know, after his first two years, I think he realized that he bit off too much you know, more than he could chew at being both the head coach and the defensive coordinator. So after his second season, he gave up the coordinator duties to Kane Womack um, and just focused on being a program manager, a head coach. Uh, and I think he, he maybe had a little bit more uh, clear-eyed uh, vision toward everything that needed to happen with his program. You know, he also made a change to offense coordinator. Those first two years uh, with Mike DeBoard uh, running the show on offense, they, they produced really nothing meaningful, nothing of value. It was really frustrating, plotting, conservative style of offense that was just not going to win you games, uh, or at least not position you to, to consistently win games in the Big Ten East. And so he, he went out and brought in a really, really highly regarded 
uh, coordinator who uh, is now the head coach of Fresno State, uh, uh, Kalen DeBoer. Uh, and so he's ma- he's been willing to make changes while also staying true to just sort of the person that he is, the, the leader, the the motivator that he is. And uh, it, it's all kind of, uh, you know, you know, you know come full circle uh, for him and his program over these last uh, 12 months or so. Yeah, he's certainly a, a very strong uh, leader for this program. It's been fun to watch uh, as from an outside perspective, kind of similar to Paul Chris. I know both of those guys. You know, Paul Chris in his presser said he had a lot of respect for, for Tom Allen and, and the program that he's building down there in Bloomington. Getting into the game a little bit here, of course, last week the big news, uh, Indiana picks up a win over Maryland but loses Michael Penix Jr., their dynamic lefty quarterback late in that game. How big of a loss is him, and what can you tell us about his his backup Jack Tuttle? It's it's a huge loss, and it's you know it, it's it's I think it's there's a couple of ways to look at it. I, I think one is that you know Michael Penix is a really exciting player to watch. He's a very good college quarterback right now who has really high upside. He's got next level potential. Uh, he hasn't quite fully put it all together yet, but you know even so, it's been really fun to watch him develop and make some of the throws and make some of the reads he's made uh, up to this point in the season. He, he's a heck of a player. Uh, he's, he's sort of an emotional leader. I think this team has been bought in uh, to the idea of him as the quarterback for two years now. They, they're they all behind him. Uh, and so I, I think you're losing both a player who can make all the throws, make the reads you want him to make, uh, and also guys, also a guy that the, the guys around him really rally around in that locker room. So it, it, it's a big loss. Um, with that, you know, he's he's really had a hard time staying healthy. It's it's really been, you know, the, the biggest knock on him to date. I mean, coming in um, as a freshman in 2018, you know, we're out there at fall practice and just watching the quarterbacks they had, you know, they brought in a grad transfer from Arizona. They had Peyton Ramsey, who's now in Northwestern. They had some experienced guys in that quarterback room. But just watching him from the very first day of practice, you could tell he just threw a different ball from the moment he walked on the campus. He's he, he looked like the guy, um, but he again he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So so with that, you know he's left. You know he's he's had his season end prematurely each of his three years in Bloomington. So this team, I think, in some ways is um, you know conditioned to you know having to shift gears and, and adapt to a new quarterback you know midstream. So that necessarily won't be new. What will be new is the guy that they're moving to, Jack Tuttle, who um, really really. Um, highly touted prospect coming out of high school. He was a guy who started his career in Utah. Um, and here, and to back up for a second, one of the really interesting things and something that I don't think anyone who follows Indiana football is really quite used to yet is this idea that Indiana might actually have quarterback depth. I mean, you go back last year, Penix uh, injures his shoulder midway through the season. You turn to Peyton Ramsey, and Peyton Ramsey leads you to the Gator Bowl. Uh, this year, Michael Penix goes down midway through the season or toward the end of the season, I guess. Uh, and you go to Jack Tuttle, who uh, was rated the number five po- or number five pro-rated passer in the 2018 recruiting class. Michael Penix was number 15. So you're actually going to a guy who was rated higher than Michael Penix, uh, whatever that's worth in the recruiting rankings. I'm not sure. but um, So there's, there's talent there. What I think Indiana is really going to miss is, again, uh, Michael Penix's ability to read the field, uh, but also he's got a really, really quick release. And Indiana's uh, protection this year hasn't been great. Their offensive line isn't very good. And so, you know, looking at that matchup in particular, just the way it's traditionally been, i.e. Wisconsin, that, that's something I think folks are a little bit worried about. Will, will Jack Tuttle have the release uh, to kind of get the ball out there, um, especially if that protection is not going to be there? Because, again, that, that's 
really one of the things that separated Michael Penix from um, quarterbacks who preceded him in the, in the long line of in a Indiana quarterback play was just the fact that, you know, when he's under pressure, he can still make good reads. He can still make good throws um, and connect them, uh, you know, in, in really in, in, at a really impressive rate. So uh, I think that's really to be seen. But there's a lot of talent there with Jack Tuttle. He throws a good ball. Uh, he had all the high, high school accolades. I mean, he was an Elite 11 quarterback uh, coming out of San Diego. Uh, going to Utah originally, so the talent's there, but again, he just doesn't have the experience, so I, I'm not sure exactly what to expect from Jack Tell, just because we haven't seen a whole lot of him, and especially just looking at this team and the way it's made up on, up front in the offense, you know, again, Michael Penix did such a good job working through the issues of the offensive line and getting the ball off quickly, getting it off uh, accurately under pressure that I'm not sure that, you know, you can really expect that from a guy who's kind of coming in cold right now. Yeah, it'll be a definitely an interesting dynamic to watch. Wisconsin has been a team that uh, historically, you know, last year got to the quarterback quite a bit, and this year has has kind of fallen off in the three games that they've played. So it'll be interesting to watch to see if they can uh, get after uh, an ex- inexperienced quarterback, but one that's still got some strong straight strong traits. And thankfully for him, he's still got a, a couple dynamic uh, receivers to throw to: Ty Freifogel and Watt Filer. Really strong, kind of a duo that uh, probably look across the country to one of the you know stronger duos at the wide receiver position. How big um, you know have an impact of those two made on the football field this year? I tell you what, Ty Freifogel he's been a really remarkable uh, you know, player for Indiana. I, I don't, you know, I think it, uh, folks probably expected a solid receiver on the outside uh, in Ty Freifogel this year, but nothing to this extent. I mean, it just you know you know he he's made some catches in the past, but not. Not to this level. I mean, he just, his catch radius is pretty impressive. And, you know, that's another thing, you know, I, I sort of wonder about with this team now. Does, you know, Michael Penix just had a knack for putting the ball right where Ty Fryfogel wanted it, right where he could get it, um, reasonably so. And so you wonder about that sort of rapport uh, with the new quarterback. But, you know, he's been outstanding. And, and, and Watt Fillier, just the same. I mean, he's a really uh, fast athletic option who IU has really tried to use over the middle um, and get him into space. Uh, but, yeah, together they, they've been really, really good. And now the question is just sort of how do they work in sync with, with a new guy? Switching gears a little bit to the defense here, was Indiana has, has really thrived on turnovers this year. I believe last I looked it was 58 points off turnovers. What's kind of been the reason for the defensive success, and, and what have they done to, to force so many and, and set themselves up um, to have success with the offense with the defense kind of getting them in, in really solid field position all season long? That's that's been another thing that's really sort of difficult to wrap uh, your head around if you're an Indiana person. Just this idea that you have a football team all of a sudden who you can sort of lean on that defense and expect them to to make great plays and uh, force opponents into mistakes. I mean that's that's kind of going to be the thing from here on out. Is can they just sort of lean on the defense uh, to sort of bail out you know some of the questions about this offense right now? Uh, but yeah, you know defensively what they've done uh, is done a really excellent job of just sort of disguising blitzes, disguising coverages, um, and, and really with that too, just pressuring the quarterback. We saw it a lot in the Ohio State game, uh, just the ability to get to Justin Fields. I mean, Justin Fields is you know obviously a great quarterback, but he's even better when he has a clean pocket, and Indiana did its best to really muddy uh, the pocket and, and pressure him into bad throws, and I think that's why you saw him make so many mistakes in that game. But that wasn't just a one-off thing. They've been doing it from, from day one this season, getting to the quarterback, with linebackers and corners and, um, you know, tr- tricking quarterbacks into thinking it's one coverage when it's really something else, 
uh, tricking him into making mistakes or just, you know, bringing that pressure that Indiana traditionally just hasn't really had the horses to, to, to do. Uh, and, and so it's, it's really been that. It's been the sort of deceptive packages that they have uh, defensively. But, but with that, I think, is just the ability to get some pressure. They really haven't been able to uh, traditionally de- you know, get heat on the quarterback with, with their front. So uh, getting a little bit creative this year, a lot of corner, corner blitzes, uh, you know, getting right through the A-gap with some linebackers. It's, it's been a mix of different things, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's really been, it's been pretty remarkable to watch if you, uh, if you've watched any, any amount of the, the totally absent uh, on the field of play. So it's been uh, another uh, total turnaround uh, for this Indiana program. Yeah, it has been interesting to watch, just the amount of turnovers that they force. It'll be interesting to see Wisconsin go against the defense after uh, their last time out. If uh, Turning it over five times to Northwestern is not something you want to do, and then uh, to face a team that really forces turnovers and forces your hand will be interesting dynamic to watch uh, for this contest on Saturday. So rounding out the conversation here, in your eyes uh, as an Indiana kind of insider, what do you think will be the key to the game, and do you have any sort of prediction for Saturday? Yeah, it, it's hard to say just because, uh, you know, I'm not sure what this offense is really going to look like uh, this week just with that new quarterback. And, you know, IU I has not been a very good team running the ball, so I'm not really sure what they what they really lean on right now. That You know, it's not a team – you know, they had some running success last week, but everybody has running success against Maryland. Maryland's not a very good, you know, fr- rushing front. So uh, I'm not – I think that was a little bit of fool's gold uh, for Indiana's offense last week. So – I'm not sure, but I think that, you know, what it's really going to come down to is I think they're just going to try to lean on the defense and see if that defense can really uh, sort of make things happen, muddy up the game a little bit, uh, and try to get to a freshman quarterback. You know, I think that, uh, you know, you've seen Indiana really uh, get in the head of basically every quarterback they've played this year. I mean, I don't think a single quarterback has come out of this matchup thinking, wow, that was that was easy. Uh, you know, it's it's re- they've really done a good job, of just what I said, just disguising things and, and bringing pressure in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and so I think in this sort of situation where you're not really sure what the offense is going to look like or what they're going to be able to do, uh, I think you're really going to have to try to, you know, pressure a freshman quarterback into making some mistakes and just sort of seize on the, the takeaways that you've been riding up to this point. There you have it, folks. A lot of interesting things to look for Saturday afternoon, 2.30 on ABC as the Hoosiers travel to Camp Randall to take on the Wisconsin Badgers. Mike, thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy the game on Saturday. My pleasure. Anytime. All right, Badger fans, that wraps up another episode of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. We'll be back for a recap with you next week, and as always, on Wisconsin. Thank you.